Marissa Kresge is an assistant coach for the University of Wisconsin women's soccer team. Marissa also coaches youth soccer teams in the Verona, Wisconsin area. And before being a coach, was a really good player. She was a, an outstanding player in Maryland growing up and played for the University of Wisconsin women's team. It's really great to have Marissa on the show, not only because of um, her great perspective as a, as a bright and promising young coach, but also just because of the actual career phase that she's in. Many of our guests have been Hall of Famers and longtime coaches. Some have been coaching for as long as 50 years and have lots of great stories to share. Um, and it's been a really great source of learning for me to learn from so many um, seasoned coaches on this podcast. But I think there's great value also in learning from coaches who are just at the onset of their career, like Marissa. She's she's living out right now what a lot of the other coaches we talked to discussed as they reflect back on their career. So hers are real-time insights about learning the profession and what she grapples with, what she's learned, some of the best models she's learned from, um, what she enjoys about coaching, and what she's committed to. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have her on the show. And as we continue on on the sport and the growing good, we'll continue to learn from coaches um, at all phases of their careers. Um, I think growing up, I was really lucky to have a lot of great coaches. Um, I was exposed to a lot of different types of coaches. Um, in my earliest years, I always I started with a dad who decided to coach a local soccer team. So that was sort of my introduction. Um, and as I grew up with that, I played there for a few years for my neighborhood team and then decided that I wanted something more. Um, I wanted it to be a little bit more competitive. And that's when I moved to a bigger club. Um, that was about an hour or so away from my house. Um, and that's when I first got exposed to really competitive club soccer. Um, and the woman that I had at that club, um, she had a very successful career herself, um, as a player and as a coach, she set very high standards for us as a young age. Um, and so that was sort of the first exposure to, wow, this is more than just um, going out and showing up and playing games and having fun. This is, if you want to be successful, you need to be disciplined with it. You need to sh show up. You need to start learning how to communicate. Um, we started traveling as a team. Um, parents could come, but you, you did everything as a team. You ate team meals together and things like that. So it was vastly different um, than what I was initially exposed to. And I thought that was incredible um then i moved on to a team that was closer to my club um now now in youth soccer you hear of the ecnl which is a national girls league um and then they had a couple other leagues come through but that wasn't necessarily a thing until my senior year of high school um so my junior and senior year i moved clubs to a club team that was joining that league and i was exposed to some other coaches that really had a big impact on my career. Um, they they had similar standards, but maybe the way they their personalities were a little bit more laid back. Um, and so I think that 
really was something that I was looking for within my youth career. I loved having that competitive mentality and I wanted to be in those environments. So I think having three, four great coaches from an early age really set the standard for, okay, if you want to be successful, this is what it looks like. This is what you need to start to do. And they started to instill those values in me from a young age. Marissa, the, that first coach you had, you said, um, was a was a big change for you going from your neighborhood team to this this competitive club. Yeah. Um, what I have a couple questions about that. One is, wh- at what age was that that you'd made the transition? And then, um, as you have moved up and you've coached at all levels, and I want to ask you a lot about coaching at different levels, but you you coached um, competitive youth soccer as well. Um, as, as a youth coach of, of a competitive level, to what extent are you considering like the kid's developmental stage? In other words, how you talk to a, a 20-year-old on your team at the University of Wisconsin um, about a, a, you know, a given strategy or a way of practicing versus talking to an 11-year-old girl in Verona, Wisconsin. Um, how, can you, that's a lot that I just asked you, but I, first, how old were you when you made the, the, the change? And then how developmentally appropriate was that first highly competitive coach you had? Um, when I was in seventh grade, I ended up making the change. So I didn't start playing soccer until um, first grade. So I played with that team for quite a few years and then I decided I wanted to move on but um in seventh grade I ended up breaking my ankle and my my shin bone in a soccer game um so I had a year in which I had to sit out and that's sort of when I made that transition in seventh grade to this competitive club team um and then the biggest thing that that she taught me um from an early age was it was a lot about like effort and trying hard and being consistent with what you do. Um, it was never, yes, everybody wants to win, but it was more so the emphasis was always placed on development and it was about, okay, how can we get better as a team? How can you be better as an individual? Um, and what does it look to get there? Um, so that mentality and that sort of exposure, um, from, from that age on, sort of impacted me a lot and I would say that's that's one of the biggest things in the way I interact with my kids now uh, whether it's at Wisconsin at the collegiate level or if it's at Verona with my U11 U12 or even U16 girls um, it's always can you get better from an individual standpoint um, how can I help you obviously the communication and the words that you use the language changes um, I can talk to our Wisconsin players about tactical things um, at, at Verona, I, I bring it down to the most simplistic level in terms of, okay, can you identify who has the ball? Where's the space? Where's pressure coming from? If those players can understand, if I can get them to start to understand those three elements, now is when you can bring in teammates. Now is when you can bring in decision-making. Um, but it's the same thing when I'm doing film, film with one of our midfielders. Okay, why'd you make that decision here? Well, where's the space? You still bring it back. Um, you can talk about interchanges and things like that and make it way more complex. But at the end of the day, it, it goes back to the basic things. Can you read the cues? And how effective are you at reading those cues? And if you're really effective, now we can do a little bit more in-depth stuff. 
Um, if, if you struggle with that, now we have to do, okay, what do you have to identify first? How do you see it? What are you looking for? Um, and the conversation changes a little bit. So it can get way more simplistic, um, but it always sort of goes back to those, those cues. So the, the developmental focus um, is consistent across all levels. Um, that's an interesting. That's a good perspective to have. That that remains consistent even as the sophistication of tactics and that is ramped up as they get older. It sounds like. Yeah, I think decision decision making always has to go back to those four things. Whether it's first, you have to identify okay who has the ball, where's pressure coming from, where's the space, okay, and where are your teammates. From there is what you're making the decisions based off of. But if you can't identify those four things, I think that's when you don't necessarily make the best decision. Um, and obviously our, our players at Wisconsin can do it at a, at a pretty high level and really fast. Um, and it becomes very intricate with adding four five, six players into it while they're playing. So they're reading a lot more than just basic. Okay. I see the ball. I see my one defenders coming to pressure. I see my open teammate. Um, uh, as they get better, the game starts to slow down a little bit for them, but it's still, um, I think it all goes back to that. And that's sort of the way that I guide my conversations when we're discussing, what do you think your best decision was here? Or what could you do a little bit better? What were you looking at? What, why did you make this choice? I was interested, Marissa, in, in reading about you and seeing that it sounds like you. There's something about you that you have a natural leadership quality. You were the captain of your high school team. You were the captain of your, your team. I know you started at Maryland, but when you came to Wisconsin, you ultimately were the team captain. Um, and it made me think of a, a little a little more about your relationship with the coaches you've had. Um, and I, I want to focus maybe on at Wisconsin, just because it's the most recent example you had. Um, when yep. you when you first came to the team and how your relationship with your coaches from the players perspective how that um, took shape and maybe even changed the longer you were on the team to the point where you became a team leader um, the relationship with my coaches uh, has always been the most important thing to me um, that's actually the the one reason why I transferred to Wisconsin um, was because of Paula I really liked her and I really liked everything that, that she envisioned for the program and what she was doing. Um, so she was sort of the first reason once I had a few conversations with her, I knew I wanted to play for her um, just with her, her goals and the way she carried herself and interacted with her team. Um, that's what drew me to Wisconsin in the first place. And um, once I got there, I, I loved it. Um, 2013 was an interesting first year for me at, at Wisconsin. Um, I think our team was in a little bit of a different spot than we are now. Uh, we went through a lot of changes that year, um, and we decided that we, we wanted to be a great team. We wanted to win the Big Ten. Um, and so over the course of that next spring in 2014 is really when Paula started implementing a lot of leadership stuff and a lot of cultural things. Um, we learned how to communicate with one another. We learned how to interact with each other. Um, we, we developed our own core values for our team and what they meant to us. Um, so it was a really long process in that um, Paula and Tim invested a lot of energy and time into helping us 
cultivate our culture and helping us start to write our own story for what we wanted our program to be like. Um, and so that's sort of when that developed the relationship even further developed. Um, I spent, I, I, again, I really liked Paula. So that's one of the reasons why I came to Wisconsin. Um, and so over that time of 2014 and then leading into my fifth year of 2015 is when I spent a lot of time um, trying to learn everything I could and soak in all that she was doing at Wisconsin and all that we were doing um, because I thought that part of our culture had the huge had a huge part of our success um, because we basically had the same team from 2013 to 2014, um, but we changed our culture and it changed our entire program. Um, so as, as those years went on, that's really further developed my relationship with them. Um, and I was just very intrigued with what we were doing. And I thought that was something that I wanted to be a part of and continue to be a part of as I moved on. Being, uh, I know the title of captain for some teams, that means, um, an awful lot. Like it's a very substantive role. For other teams, it's more of like an honorary thing, and it doesn't necessarily have a lot attached to it. Um, so relating to that role, was that role of captain a substantive thing? Did it did it come with certain kind of responsibilities? And then especially as your team was going through these big changes, you know, you're, you're changing the culture. Did you view your role as kind of a conduit between the coaches and maybe your younger teammates? Um what 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 did your relationship with your younger teammates look like during that phase of change? Um, it, yes, I, I would say it was definitely a conduit between the coaching staff and our teammates um, in terms of a leadership role. I mean, anybody can look at my my stats online. Um, I I played in a lot of games my senior year, but by no means was I a four year starter, all Big Ten, all American. I I think I scored six six or seven goals as a forward. Um, so that that is not a, a great career by any means. Um, so I think my role as a captain was more of a, I'm going to try to lead by example. I'm going to try to be vocal. Um, I'm going to try to instill um, the right values and doing the right thing um, within it. Because if people looked at me, there were much better players on the team than I was. Um, within our starting 11, I was probably one of the, one of the lower ranked players in that starting 11. Um, but my role as a captain, I, I got people to buy in to what we wanted to do and it took a while to develop over time. Um, my leadership qualities and the way that I leaded, um, because it wasn't perfect, but I learned that you have to bring other people in the way that you communicate is extremely important. And so, learning those things going through that process was a huge growing point for me. Um, and I was able to do it on some front because again, if you would have looked at my statistics, people would be like, ah, no, like I'm better than you X, Y, and Z. Um, so it definitely wasn't from a playing perspective that, that I earned that, um, role and that title. Um, I think I definitely couldn't, we had three captains that year. And I definitely couldn't have done it. We all brought three very different things to the table. Um, I was more vocal. I was going to be the harder one to say, no, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want to 
ultimately do, and this is why we're going to do it. Uh, we had a player who was very good on the field. She was uh, more of a leader on the field. You knew that nobody was going to outwork her. And then we had a player who, who was in the middle of both of us. Um, so we had a really good balance that year. Um, and that's one of the things that, that made it work so well. Um, without those other two, I, I would not have been <laughs> nearly as successful as a leader if they did not have my back, nor did the other players on the team buy into what we wanted to do and, and sort of be all in on it. Did that experience as a, as a leader while still playing shape your decision-making about entering the coaching profession, Marissa? Or did you know, even at a younger stage, it was something you were interested in? Um, I would say at a little bit of a younger stage, um, my senior year of my high school career, um, I ended up touring, tearing my ACL in a summer. It was in spring, but I played for a summer league team, which had a bunch of uh, college players or retired college players on it. Um, so I was out at training one day and for that team, and I ended up tearing my ACL in spring. Um, and that sort of made me take a step back um, because I, I had big plans going into Maryland my freshman year. I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to play in some capacity. And all that sort of took a step back, not being able to play for the next year. And it was over that next year um, I ended up rehabbing. But while I was rehabbing, I went back to my old club team. Um, and one of my club coaches who – uh coach me growing up she she had a younger club team and a little bit older club team so she had a I think a U11 or U12 girls team and then she had about a U16 girls team so I would go out and actually help her with training sessions and then as I was getting back playing I would start to hop in with the younger ones and it was quite interesting being a college freshman playing with U12 girls um but it was really helpful for me getting back and um, starting to play again. But that was sort of the first time that I was exposed to coaching because I got to run some of the activities within it. I got to um, sort of be a leader um, within a different environment, not, not within a playing environment. Um, so I would say that was my first exposure to coaching. And that's, that's when I knew I wanted to do it. Um, like I said, I picked my school based off the coaches um, because I thought that was going to be something that I wanted to do. I wanted that relationship. Um, so that's sort of why I got into coaching um, and, and the impact that they had on me from even earlier ages. I, I had a really good conversation kind of recently with uh, Casey Fitz Randolph, who's a, a, an awesome um Olympic gold medalist in the speed skating and is a native of here in Wisconsin and just, you know, elite performer. And one of the things he said was that, um, in ever since he was a little kid in this intensive environment of training, one of the, one of his commitments was to always learn something from every experience, whether it was a horrible experience of like failure or a great experience to, you know, always be very conscious of what, he learned from a given experience. And that actually has been a really interesting and somewhat surprising theme for me and that I've, that I've heard from a lot of coaches is um, sometimes some, something like an injury, um, whether it was themselves like you were injured and maybe you had this chance to learn in a different way. Um, 
I've, I've heard that theme surprisingly how, how often like an injury is a time that people reflect more, um, on what they're doing and it en- ends up being a, you know, a positive for them in the long run. And then the other part of that is that some of the great coaches are able to recognize an opportunity for their own players when there's an injury or giving them something different to do rather than just kind of setting them on the shelf and telling them to wait it out. And it sounds like you've really mobilized this kind of setback to, to think more deeply about the game and, and your future. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge time for me. And while it wasn't great to have, have an injury by any means, um, I think it was the, actually the biggest the biggest blessing in disguise for me um, because it, it was able to reshape what I wanted to do. Um, I, I probably wasn't going to go on and have a, a pro playing career. I wasn't the most athletic um, player, so I had some limitations that way, but this sort of set me back and, and made me reshape. Okay. I love soccer. Um, I'm probably a little bit more passionate about soccer uh, than some other people are, are, um, it's one thing people always say about me, but that was my way of staying in the game. Um, it, it sort of made me reshape, okay, how can I stay in this game as long as I can? What can I do? Um, how can I make this a a lifestyle instead of just playing four years? Because ultimately everybody's dream is to play college soccer. Some people who are, who have that skill set can go on and play pro or international, um, but that's that's very very few. Um, so finding another way and reshaping the way I looked at it um, was a huge benefit for me um, during that period of time. And I mean, again, without without the coaches around me, um, without my club coaches, I would have never had that opportunity had I not been surrounded by by those people um, because they were the ones who really did it for me. And so for that, I'm really grateful for them. Otherwise, I I wouldn't be here. Um, doing this today so I think that's really cool this uh, statement you had about everyone has the dream to play to to play soccer maybe at the college level you sure see that at some of the you know club levels these days Um, and it's it's, in a lot of ways it's a great thing you have a lot of young people aspiring toward a goal and working hard at it and being deliberate about their practice and being uh, surrounded by other um dedicated young athletes and, and good coaches. Um, when you work with young people, maybe at the U11, U11 is an example. I'm, I'm really interested in that, yep. age, in that age range. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of um, promising aspects of right now and kind of the developmental stages of, of, of youth, of highly competitive youth soccer and then also maybe what what are you concerned about what, rel- relative to both the young athletes, but maybe even their parents and the way they're going about shooting for their dreams? I think uh, youth soccer, youth soccer and parents and, and their expectations and things like that make for a very interesting standpoint. Um, it's something, well, anytime I coach a U11 or a U12 team, um, my biggest thing is can they develop individually? Technically, do they learn the foundation? Um, because I, I really believe that if you don't learn the technical skill set when you are 10, 11, 12, that's the environment I'm in now. If you get exposed to it when you're 7, 8, 9, 10, even better. But if you, you don't learn it by about 13, um, how to pass a ball with the inside of your foot, um, how to receive a ball, how to open up your hips, 
how to manipulate a ball in different ways. I think that if you're not exposed to it at, at a little bit of a younger age, um, then your your path to being very successful becomes becomes a lot harder. Um, I think that it's easier to develop those skills uh, when you're younger, and then as you go grow older, um, it, it becomes a little bit more hard. But that's when you get the parents who are. I need my daughter or son to train X, Y, and Z. They need to have this private trainer. They need to do this, this, and this um, to become successful. And I think at the end of the day, a, a player is going to become successful because they love the sport and they want to invest the time and energy into it. If you have a, if you give a player, if you give your son or daughter um, a personal trainer and you train with them three times a week and they're not invested in it and they don't enjoy doing it and they don't want to do it, well, they're not going to benefit from it. If a kid wants to go outside and play in the backyard for 30 minutes every day, they're going to get better. It might, it might not be perfect. You're not doing it exactly right, but you're touching the ball, you're getting better. Um, and so I think from a young age, you want to see players on top of the ball. And, and the more time they spend on top of the ball within any type of environment, whether you're juggling in your kitchen, you're dribbling a ball around your house, you're going outside or you're going to the park, um, I think that's all great. But I think it has to be be player driven. Um, that individual has to be the one to want to do it because if they want to do it, they'll continue to want to do it. Um, if you're being forced to do something, I know maybe it's just my personality. I, I don't want to do it if somebody else tells me I have to do it. I have to want to do it for myself. And that's sort of the buy-in part. And I think that that if you have individual buy-in because you want to do something, those are the players that are going to be most successful. Um and I think they have to enjoy doing it. Um, I'm at a at a club where it's more of a town team. Um, it's not an ECNL team that's highly competitive and looking to place players in college. Um, we're doing it so that those kids get a good experience. Um, they get exposed to a sport. They learn something new. Maybe they don't go on to play soccer, but they can use what they learned in soccer in their life or in a different sport if they choose it whatever they whatever they choose to do i think you can transfer a lot of these skills it might not be dribbling a soccer ball but if you learn how to communicate with another person or you learn how to work together or you learn how to lead or try hard whatever values you instill within a within a training session and whatever environment you create can be impactful for for that player moving on but at the end of the day, you have to create that environment that players want to be in and that they want to come to. If you create an environment that that isn't that and it's not fun and it's not enjoyable, well, you can have the best athlete in the world, but they're not going to be a very good whatever player you want to say because they won't develop in it. Um, and that's sort of my my philosophy when I'm when I'm coaching those guys. I want them to enjoy it. I want them to have a good experience. I don't expect them to go and be the next Rose Lavelle of the national team. Um, but if they do, that's amazing. <laughs> I've been asking you all these kind of high level questions about, you know, the deeper motivations about um, why you've coached and that, but on a way more like practical, simple level, have you developed certain just little habits and little routines with like the youth teams, for example, that you found to be especially effective as a coach? Um, when I, when I show up to a training session with, with my kids, um, I sort of set the standard early on. You always show up before training. You're there at least five minutes early. Uh, when you get to the field, 
you always start by juggling. I think juggling is a really good way to get your feet moving, get you thinking, um, to work on your touch. Um, but once training sort of starts, we'll do that for the first few minutes and then I'll, I'll find a way to incorporate some type of game, whether it's tag. Um, so they're constantly running and changing direction, whether it's something with a ball, like they're dribbling around and trying to knock each other's ball out or steal somebody's ball, somehow make it a little bit fun, um, to get their, their head in the right space, um, and to get them prepared to, um, compete within a session. I think if you can find a way to make it fun and engaging, now you have them from the start. If you don't do that, I think it's a little bit harder because, not everybody loves individual technical work as much as the next kid. Um, if I'm, if I'm more athletic and my touch isn't necessarily there, I might be really effective within a game, but that's the part of training that I hate. Um, so if you can make it fun and engaging for, for all those guys, um, I think it, it goes a long, long way within that session. Um, and so that's one thing I always try to do. And then just talking to the players, getting to know them, seeing what they did in school that day. I asked them to tell me one fun fact. Um, half the time, I don't even know what they're talking about because they're <laughs> learning something that's way more complex and advanced than I ever learned in school. I'm like, what are you learning about? You're learning about taxes? I never learned about that. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to engage with them and, and keep it fun for them. Um, so hopefully they do go on to continue to have a good experience and they do remember, Oh, you know what? I did play soccer once. If I don't continue to do it, I had a good experience with it. If I did continue to do it, it was because I had a good experience. I think that that part of it is, is the biggest thing for me when I coach those guys. Marissa, my, my last kind of area I'd like to ask you about is relates to, um, you've already talked a little bit about coaching back at UW a little bit, but, um, it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic to go from from playing at a place to then coming back and coaching there. Um, we have a lot of young coaches that we work with who are, you know, whether they're in their early stages of coaching or they're still um, competing in sport and looking toward coaching. Are there certain lessons that you've learned in these first several years of coaching at the college level about making the transition to be a college coach and um, little pieces of wisdom in those, for those initial years that, that you think would have been valuable for you to know uh, several, maybe three or four years ago? Um, one of the biggest things, um, if you're coming into, I had one experience prior to, to Wisconsin at Illinois state. Um, and I thought coming off of winning two big 10 championships and having a pre being involved in a pretty successful couple of years at Wisconsin I thought that I was in a really good spot I knew a lot um and I came into a completely different environment and I initially it was a shock for me um because it wasn't the exact same and I think that's the that's the biggest thing that you have to be open to learning a new environment you have to be open to things are going to be different from what made you successful um in your environment um and then finding what's going to make other people successful in this new environment. Um, it, it may look different and it's not necessarily right or wrong. They may need something else. Um, but it's not going to be done the exact same. I don't think any two teams, if you take the two same two teams of 2014 and 2015 in Wisconsin, 
they weren't the same two teams. We didn't do it the same way. Uh, we had to emphasize different things within it. And I think like maybe as a player, you don't necessarily see that because you were involved in something that was was successful. And so you think, oh, we can do it this way in this new new environment that you're involved with, but it's going to look different. Um, you have to learn the program and you have to be open to learning the players. My biggest thing is that if you learn the players that you're working with, now you build a relationship with them. Paul always says that it takes time to get to know someone and the more time you're willing to invest in them, the better that relationship is going to be. And I think that's what that is what makes people successful and teams successful is when you invest time in one another. Um, so that would be one of the biggest things. Don't, don't go in thinking, you know, all the answers, you may have some good ideas, but it might not work out the exact same. Um, but if you invest time getting to know the program and the players, you'll, you'll be a lot better off in the long run. Um, and it'll be really impactful. It seems like there's a, a relate, there's a potential relatability advantage for a younger coach just by the sheer fact of being closer to the experience yourself. You know, if you're, 20, yeah. if you're 25 years old and, you, and your player's 20, it's a little different. You know, you have maybe just a generational connection that maybe the, the coach, the head coach, you know, may not be in that same space. So that, that could be some, that connection could be an advantage. It seems. Yeah, I, I think it is a huge advantage, um, and I think it's great. I think it's just a matter of how you go about it. If you go if you go into it saying you're doing X, Y, and Z wrong, you need to do this, this, and this, um, that that 20-year-old kid may find it very off-putting and be like, you know what, you're not better than me. You're basically the same age as me. But if you go into it, I want to make you better. I understand what you're going through. I just went through it now you're more relatable and you're more understanding. So I think it goes back to how you interact with the people that you're around. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it. So no matter what age you are, can you make it relatable? Can you, if you go back to, I want to help you be successful, people will buy into it. Um, no matter how old you are, or what your background is, um, they, they want to be successful. So um, whatever that looks like to them, they're, they're more likely to be like, okay, let's do this. Um, and I think that's really cool. So it changes it a little bit, but I think it's really beneficial also. So I think being a younger coach within a collegiate environment has, has made for a really cool experience for me. <laughs>